Hey, if you have ever played on a team, maybe you currently play on a team, you're on a team, you know there is nothing quite like home field advantage, right? That that if you're on a team and maybe you've traveled, you've been on the road for a season or something and it's time to come back home, like there's an excitement, there's an enthusiasm that comes with playing on your home field or on your home court or running on your home course or something like that. I mean, there's there's nothing like it. I mean, there's a distinct advantage. I mean, think about the Colts, okay? We're encouraged, right? They're going to get there. We're heading in the right direction. But there was a day when, man, I mean, the Colts were just unstoppable. And sure, there was the Peyton Manning factor, but there is something about home field advantage at Lucas Oil Stadium that it doesn't matter if you're down by a touchdown with two minutes to go. Again, Peyton Manning helps. But having that home field advantage, you know, there is a, it just, there is a lot of extra confidence that comes with such, um, such an advantage. But it goes with other things, too. I mean, maybe you like to cook. And if you like to cook, uh, there's something about your kitchen and your utensils or using your particular knife. And when you're in your kitchen, you know, it just kind of feels right. Maybe you like to fish. Uh, If you fish, you know, there's nothing like your rod and reel. And so you're out in the boat one morning, the sun's coming up over the trees. If you've got that rod and reel in your hands, again, there's just some confidence uh, that comes with that. If you travel. All right, travel a lot for your job. You're gone during the week. You know there's nothing like being at home in your bed with your pillow. I mean, you're going to sleep better if you play golf. Okay, if you're a golfer, I mean, maybe you've got a particular putter that you like or you've got a hybrid club. And so it doesn't matter where you are on the fairway or in the rough. If you've got that club, if you've got that putter, you know, whatever it may be in your hands, you know it's to your advantage. You've got this extra confidence going for you. Unless you're me, because it really doesn't matter if I'm using my clubs or Tiger Woods clubs. I mean, I'm a lousy golfer. You know, anyway, it's not going to make any difference. Well, in John chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples, and they are together in the night of this special supper. And it's not too long after this that Jesus will be arrested, and he'll eventually find his way to the cross. But the climate is interesting, because Jesus knows what he's up against. He knows what's coming. And the disciples, they're getting hints of this. Jesus has he's talked about it, whether they've understood it or not. I mean, there's all of this confrontation. There's all of this controversy uh, around Jerusalem, around Jesus and these men. And so they're anxious. They're nervous. They're not sure what is to come. And in John chapter 16, 7, Jesus says some very important words to them, some words we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Uh, he said it like this. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, at this point, the disciples had to be looking at each other thinking, what's he talking about? Where where is he going? Like, what, what does he mean he's leaving? What does he mean he's going somewhere else? Because they've been spending all of their time with him. I mean, they, they watched him perform these miracles. They've listened to his teachings. They've seen him heal other people. And so this talk, you know, Jesus says, I'm leaving soon, but it is to your advantage that I go. And then he says, because when I go, the helper will come. Now, that word helper is an interesting word. You'll notice that it's capitalized. And depending on the translation you're using today, it might say helper, it might say comforter, it might say advocate or counselor. It's the same person. All right, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit here. And he says to his disciples, and he says to you and me, hey, don't worry about me leaving. I'll go. It's to your advantage that I go. I'll go but I'll send the Holy Spirit, I'll send this helper to be with you. 
Well, we're wrapping up today uh, this three-part series on the Holy Spirit. And, and who's the Holy Spirit? He, he is God. He is nothing less than God. And if you walk away with only one important piece of theology today, I hope you'll take this one, that the Holy Spirit is God. He is fully God. He is nothing less than God. He's not an it. Uh, Jesus referred to the Spirit over and over again as a Him. We know He's a person, the Holy Spirit for you and for me. For us, Jesus is talking about God. And in John 16, 7, Jesus says, I'm going away. All right, He's forecasting this with His disciples. But then He says, I will send the Helper. Now, the specific Greek word used here for helper is an interesting word. It's the Greek word paraclete. And it literally means the one called to come alongside of. He is the one. The Holy Spirit is the one called to come alongside of his children. He is the one who is called to be inside of you and to be inside of me. Now, let me just stop there and say, if that's at all confusing to you in any way or a little difficult to get your mind around, welcome to the party. All right. Uh, People have been debating this issue, discussing this issue for hundreds, thousands of years, you know, debating this issue of God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, three in one. What does this mean? How does this work? People have been talking about this for a long time. But I just want to encourage you in this that while a challenging topic, thankfully, we have God's word to point us in the right direction. And although challenging, there are plenty of great things that we can know with confidence. For instance, you can have the confidence here today that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Spirit of God, God Himself, He lives inside of you. He lives in your life. And Paul describes that in 1 Corinthians. He says that your body is a temple. Your body is the temple for God's presence, for God's Spirit. I mean, it's just like saying, I mean, when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the the presence of God took up permanent residency in your life, in your home, or in your temple, as the word Paul uses here. And so your body, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your body is home for God's Spirit, for His presence. Now, can we even begin to comprehend what that possibly means? I mean, what that means that the Holy Spirit That God himself, that he would choose you, that he would choose me, that he walks alongside of us, that he is in us, that he intercedes for us. That that he will stand as our advocate before God in heaven, for you, before God, before me. It's like what Jesus said to the disciples. It's to your advantage to have this going in your life that the presence of God is in you. Now, one of the challenges with the Holy Spirit has to do with the fact that even this topic, this topic of the Spirit has been a controversial topic for churches and and Christians and even a divisive topic for many years now. And and churches have split over questions regarding the roles and the functions of the Holy Spirit. And, And for some reason, you know, some churches won't even talk about the Holy Spirit because of it at all today. But I just want to tell you today that no matter what type of church you come from, Uh, No matter what sort of background or experience you bring with an issue like this, even though there have been challenges, even though there have been problems, let's be clear, let's be very clear on one thing. The problem is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has no problem. It's my problem and your problem. And while I believe that it's possible that many have abused and manipulated the teaching of the Holy Spirit for personal gain and, and, and for manipulation. I, I believe that at the same time, there are many churches and many Christians today that greatly underemphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. And I would go as far to say that I think that underemphasizing the power and the potential of the Holy Spirit is equally, if not more, unfortunate. Jesus said, it's to your advantage. 
And I'm encouraged by a statement like that. You know, and a statement like that leaves me, you know, sort of curious because I don't know about you, but I want the presence of God in my life. And I want a greater awareness of that presence in me and for me. I, I, I want God to take me and stretch me as far as he would allow me to go in these years that I spend here on this earth. I mean, I need God. I, I, I know that I can't be the husband that God wants me to be without the presence and the power of God in my life. I know that I can't be the father that God has called me to be for my children without the presence and the power of God in my life. I know that I can't be a pastor or a leader the one that God wants me to be without the power and the presence of God in my life. And some of you are here today and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you have this relationship with God and you have a growing relationship with God. And you know the personal benefit of the work that God has been doing in you and through you. And you've experienced His work and you've experienced His power in life-changing sort of ways. I mean, you understand at least to some degree with me what it means when God says, when Jesus says that it's to your advantage that I go. But some of you are here today and you're a Christian. And you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. But you have no idea what it means that God lives in you. Or you forget, or you're like me at times, and you become unaware of the fact that His presence is with you wherever you go. I mean, do you have any idea? I mean, can you even begin to imagine what it means that God is with you, that His presence is with you when you drop your kid off at daycare every week? That He'll do that for you. That God's presence is with you when you go to class tomorrow. Like that He's going to be there. That, that God's presence is with you when you go to work, or when you'll interview for a job later on this week. God, God loves you. I mean, He... That the Spirit is a gift to you and me. I mean, he, he adores you. And what an advantage for you and me, for those who call Jesus Christ Lord, to know that the presence of God is with you whenever and whatever you are up to in your life. He is always there. But let me say this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, I, I just want to invite you today as we talk about this, as we share on some of these things, as we look at some of these reminders today, to just kind of listen and consider for yourself what the benefits of such a life with God could look like for you. And just ask yourself, even, even if you approach this somewhat skeptically today or with lots of questions, just approach the subject with questions like, could it be true? And if it were true, I mean, what could it mean for me in my life to know that God loves me and that he is with me and his presence is there with me no matter where I go or no matter what I face? Today, as we um, bring this Holy Spirit series to an end, I want to talk with you specifically about the presence of the Holy Spirit for your life and in my life. And two weeks ago, Josh uh, kicked off this series here talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and what it means to have that power in you. Uh, Last week, Steve Wallen, our campus pastor from our Carmel campus, was here and he talked about what it means that the Holy Spirit gifts us, uh, that he gifts us with particular gifts to be used to build up the church for service, you know, what that means for you and me. But today we're going to talk about the presence of of the Spirit. And honestly, I, I love how this comes to an end for us today with just some simple but yet very profound reminders of what it means that the presence of God is with you and with me wherever we go, no matter what we come up against. And then to be able to ask why or how could that make a difference in my life, you know, even today, no matter what I face when I walk out of these doors in just a little while. And so I, I'm going to give you some simple statements. I, I guess. Maybe what I dare say, simple statements. I mean, I I think if you're willing to do the work, I mean, we're just sort of scratching the surface with these. But if you'd really be willing to do the work and to walk away and think about, okay, now what does this mean for my life? 
Or how could this change things for me? Uh, you know, there, there's no saying what God could choose to do in any one of us uh, through some of these truths today. The first thing is this. When we talk about the presence of the Spirit, what it means for a follower of Jesus to have the presence of the Spirit, I, I just want you to write down this phrase, the Spirit guides. One of the roles, one of the functions the Holy Spirit will play for you and play for you, uh, for me, is that He will guide. He can be a guide in your life. You know, a big question comes up in life and you don't know what to do or what path to take. The Holy Spirit can serve as a guide. John 16 13 says it like this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And so it kind of plays out like this, you know, life happens. All right. Circumstances evolve. Something comes up in your life and you don't know what to do. And so maybe you start praying for God to give you direction. He can give you wisdom. I believe that our God that the Spirit of God in you that can give you that wisdom. I mean, when you're stuck in a place in your life and you're not sure, sure which way to go, the Holy Spirit can guide you in showing you what steps to take next. Um, so I've got three kids, and my two boys, my six-year-old and nine-year-old, are running cross-country. And it's been a lot of fun. You know, Jenny and I both run, but it's been fun watching our two boys run cross-country. And I know I'm a little biased, but I'm going to say it anyways, but I sort of think they're kind of good at it. Like, it's kind of fun, you know, like better than their dad ever was at anything. And, I mean, just almost like, you know, do we quit saving for college? Like, just quit saving, you know, maybe we've got something going here. Maybe not. But anyway, uh, it's so much fun to go to their cross-country meets. Now, you might hear me say that and say, well, first of all, I have no joy in running and watching people run. Really? I mean, that's exciting. It is. I mean, it's a lot of fun. If you've ever been to a meet before, it's a good time. And so we were at a meet in Fishers a couple of weeks ago and well, I'm just kind of sort of becoming that dad, really, um, that I like to, you've got to get there early and sort of scope out the course because while they might start in a field, they might end up then on a trail in the trees and then they'll come out of the trees and then they're up a hill and then they're back into the field. And so as a spectator, you know, as a very enthusiastic dad, I've got to figure out my paths. I've got to decide, okay, how could I see them here, but then make it over to this point, you know, to be that sort of encourager. In fact, we were leaving a meet a couple of weeks ago, and my wife said, she goes, I saw something pretty funny today. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? And she said, well, I'm looking out over the field watching the race, and I saw this guy come running out of the trees, high-stepping it through the brush, cutting across the field to meet his children at another place. And I thought, my husband is that guy, all right? It was me, all right? I mean, again, I'll do whatever it takes because I feel like, you know, if I can be that encourager, you know, for them. But, but it's all about knowing the path. It's all about knowing, okay, where are they going to go from here and what comes next? You know, the Holy Spirit can do that in your life and in my life. The Holy Spirit can be your guide. He can show you the way to go. Uh, he, he's like an internal GPS of sorts, not only pointing out where you are in your present situation, but where you need to be and what it's going to take to get there. I mean, you can experience his presence and his guidance in your life when you pray. Um, you start praying about a big decision at work and he can guide you towards the best answer. Uh, the spirit can guide you in making important financial decisions. Uh, the scriptures say that he will guide you into all truth. Uh, we find an example of this in Acts 16, where we find the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy. They're traveling together. And we know from our big church series that Paul had one great mission, and that was to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And so he would go all around the world and into places like Asia Minor, which we know is present-day Turkey, 
you know, sharing the gospel. But I want you to see what happens in Acts 16.6 here as recorded when he and his companions try to enter Asia Minor. Verse 6, Acts 16.6 says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, there's an interesting phrase there. It's the phrase, having been kept. It comes from one Greek word that when translated means to exert one's will. In this particular instance, what we see is the Holy Spirit exerting the will of God for Paul. He is guiding Paul, and we don't know, and, and, we, and he knows that. But we, what we don't know is we don't know how it works. Like how, how does that work for Paul to know and to sense the guidance of the Spirit in his life? Well, what we do know is this, is that he was very aware of the truths of the Spirit in him, working around him. He, he was set on doing the will of God. And I believe he was probably in a very humble position, just waiting and listening and sensitive to God's leading in his life. And so the Holy Spirit knew the way to go, and Paul responded. And the fact is that as a follower of Jesus, you know, with the Holy Spirit living in you, you can have the same confidence of knowing that as he guided Paul and his companions, that he can guide you in your life too. I mean, the Holy Spirit can guide you with a sense of peace as you make an important career decision. He can do that. Uh, as you make an important health decision or choice. I mean, you can have the confidence that the Holy Spirit is guiding you as you and your spouse maybe finally come to a point of agreement or unity on a really difficult decision, that the Holy Spirit is working in that. Uh, the Holy Spirit can guide you through advice from a trusted Christian friend. I mean, you can learn to know and discern the voice of God for your life and His leading for you, but I'm, I'm not going to say that it's easy. I mean, you know, we're a have it your way at this moment, microwave it, download it in an instant sort of a culture. I mean, we want it our way and we want it our way now. But I'm not going to say that the Holy Spirit works like that. I mean, hearing from God, discerning His voice and knowing, you know, His will. I mean, it takes time and honestly, it, it takes practice too. Again, it takes humility. It takes a lot of sensitivity. But it's worth it. And what a great encouragement to know that you can have the Spirit in you and that He will guide you into all the truth. I'm sure we could probably share some stories. You could probably tell stories in your life when faced with a decision, a big decision. You know, hey, here's how I sense God was leading me. Here's how God was guiding me. Here's how I know when I was going down the wrong road when I thought it was the right road, but God was gracious and He helped me get to the right road. I mean, I can think of a couple of instances in my life in 13, 14 years of ministry where, you know, Jenny and I sense that, okay, if we're offered this job, I mean, that's what we're going to do. I mean, that's where we got to go. And, and the job offer came and we didn't have peace about it. It didn't feel right. And one of the ways that God guided us was that he gave us this unity to be able to say no and thankfully to get us, you know, where he had in mind for us to be today. Um, the prophet Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah thirty twenty one. He says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I'm not saying that it's easy. It takes some time. It takes some practice. But you can have the confidence that the Holy Spirit will guide you and that he can show you the way to go. The second thing is this, the Spirit convicts. He will convict us. Uh, in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, Jesus says, when he comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper. 
He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. I mean, as the follower of Jesus, I mean, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got God in you. I mean, you received that Spirit when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And the Spirit plays that role as guide. Jesus said, this is to your advantage. And one of the ways that He guides people like you and me is that He will act in us. And when necessary, He will convict us of sin. I don't know about you, but when I read that, my first reaction is to groan a little bit. That doesn't sound so fun. I mean, the last thing that I need is someone else pointing out my flaws, you know. I mean, if you're married, you, you might say, I, you know, I got married for that. I mean, I've got a spouse who does that for me. The last thing I need is, is the Holy Spirit doing something in my life like that. But let me, let me show you how that works. Uh, back a few weeks ago, we got a dog. Okay, big news in the Moomaw house. And if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard some of my stories. The first 10 years of having a dog didn't go so well. And so we helped that dog find a new home and not like the eternal home barn, you know, farm kind of a home. But we found another family. Well, it took four years for Jenny and I, for mom and dad to forget what it was like to have a dog where we finally waved the white flag and gave into our kids and we got a dog. And so uh, just a few weeks ago, well, it's been a little over a month ago, we went to the humane shelter and we got a dog and uh, I thought I'd show you a picture of our dog. This is our dog, Louie. And we love Louie. Louie's been a great dog. We're having a lot of fun with Louie. But I want to tell you that he came with the given name Grandpa. Like that was his given name. And so one of the first big decisions we had to make as a family was, do we stay or go with Grandpa? Because if we're going to make a change, we got to make the change now. And we just sort of kind of started playing out those scenarios in our head, like to be out in public and for someone else to hear something like, hey, why don't you go put Grandpa in his cage? Like, you know, that... That, that just doesn't go over well or, you know, for someone to hear, you know, my little girl saying, hey, grandpa pooped on the kitchen floor again. You know, again, it's just not good for anyone. And so we changed the name. We went to Louie. And again, Louie's been doing great. Um, but our house, when we bought our house four years ago, it came with an invisible fence, which is really pretty cool because we didn't have to pay for it. But we have this invisible fence. So we got it turned on. And we've been in the process now for some weeks of training Louie with the invisible fence system. Now, if you have invisible fence, you sort of kind of know what I'm talking about and describing. There's kind of all these sort of procedures that you need to follow because it's maybe a little bit more difficult than you might first think. And so, um, first of all, you put up these flags around the perimeter of your yard. And, and we've got a pretty large yard, especially for a little dog. But you put the flags out because it's a visual reminder that when they see the flags, okay, that's the bound. But then you've got to put collar on. I mean, whether you want to or not, you've got to put the collar on the dog. And what they recommend is that you put the collar on. I mean, this is the shocking device uh, that you start off by leaving your dog on a leash. And every time you go outside, you walk the dog around the yard and you let them get within a couple of feet of the red flags. Because when they get a couple of feet within the red flags, the beeper goes off. And so the dog not only has the visual reminder now of the flags, but then they hear a beep and realize, okay, something's not right here. But about five days into it, you have to do the inevitable. You've got to take the leash off, and you need to encourage the dog to cross the fence line to just see what's going to happen. And so we didn't want to do it, but we did it anyways. There was no, it wasn't difficult at all. There goes Louie into the fence. The next thing you know, he's about three feet in the air with the yelp. 
And I'll just say this, for the next three weeks, we did everything in our power to get him out of the house into the yard. It's like, trust me, Louis, you'll love the yard again. And I mean, just like literally pushing him out because he doesn't want to be out there. I mean, he knows there's something out there that shocks me. There's a penalty out there for going outside in the yard. Now, what we know is, Louis, you've got all of this room to play. I mean, again, it's a small dog and we've got a really big yard. And thankfully, we're finally making progress and he's building up this confidence to be out in the yard, but he knows when he has that collar on. Now, for you and me, we've got the Holy Spirit as a guide, and one of the ways that the Holy Spirit will guide us is that he will convict us of sin. And I think the danger with it is, especially if you're ever looking on the outside, if you're kind of looking in on what it means to have faith or a relationship with God, is that he's limiting us, that we've got all these rules that we need to follow, that God is somewhat holding back on life. That, that, that if you make a decision to follow Jesus, you're giving up so many things. And I think what we often forget is kind of what Louis is just now starting to see is that the yard is really big. And there are so many things in creation that God has put together for us to enjoy. But what he knows is he just knows what's best for us. I mean, he's got a life plan for every single one of us. And the Holy Spirit sort of works like this. I'm not sure about you, but I need someone to protect me from my sins. I mean, I need to be protected from the sins I'm tempted to commit. I mean, that, that is why the Holy Spirit is in me and He is in you and He plays this role as guide and He knows the way to go. I mean, think about it. If you've got kids, I mean, you do this for them all the time. If you're working in the kitchen and you've got the stove on, you keep your kids away from the stove because if they put their hands on there, their hands are going to get burnt. I mean, you know what is best for them. And the Holy Spirit can serve as that guide for us too. He knows how you were made. And what you were made for, he knows that we weren't made for sin, that sin poisons, that sin destroys families, that it destroys relationships, that it corrupts. And so as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you, he is in your life, and he will convict you of sin. And sometimes he'll convict you subtly. Sometimes he'll, he'll, he'll convict you when you're listening to a message or maybe participating in a service here at church. He'll convict you of sin when you're reading your Bible or when you're alone in the car. The Holy Spirit will convict you of some sin in your life and you'll be overwhelmed to the point that you know you need to seek God's forgiveness and then go a different way the next time. Now the danger is that over and over again that if we resist the work and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life, there can come a place where I don't know if we're as sensitive to it anymore or even come to the place where we won't hear that voice of God. I mean, it's to our advantage, Jesus says that the presence of God, the Spirit is in us, that He convicts us of sin. And if you're new to church today or you're new to all of this and you're on the outside looking in on matters like these, I, I realize the idea of a God like this, you know, convicting of sin might sound a little thorn, foreign, maybe even a little threatening to you. For some, it might make you angry. For some, there could even be these emotions of fear and guilt because you're here today and you're ashamed. Or you carry all this baggage in here. I mean, the last thing you need is another person pointing out your flaws. The last thing you need to deal with is a confrontation with an angry God. But can I just make sure that you hear the truth today, in case you've never heard it before, that our God loves you. I mean, He adores you and He is not angry with you. And He is not out there working, trying to get you once and for all. I mean, we all need Jesus. I mean, the one thing that we all have in common here today is that we all need Jesus. And our God is a God of love and our God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and He wants to be in a relationship with you. 
I mean, it's why he sent Jesus Christ into this world. It's why he sent his son to die. He gave his life and he gave it for you and me. God's not in love with some future version of you. He loves you for who you are right now. And maybe you're in a place today, maybe you just need to hear this. He's just waiting for you to love him back and to enter into that relationship with him. Um, In Acts chapter 2, which uh, ironically was the day when the Holy Spirit came as Jesus had promised, uh, the Apostle Peter finished up a great message uh, to a large group of people. And at the very end of the message, he presented it like this. He said, hey, here's what you do next. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit guides the Holy Spirit will comfort us, or convict us of sin. And the last statement is this, the Spirit comforts. He will play that role as comforter. I mean, if you've ever felt alone, if you've ever been discouraged, if you've ever been afraid, I mean, if you've ever taken a phone call that flipped your world upside down, I mean, one of the advantages of having the Holy Spirit in you is that He will comfort you. It says it like this in John fourteen sixteen. Jesus says, And I will pray to the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This idea, Jesus uses the word as comforter. And what's amazing to me is this, that for some of you here today, even those of you that are going through a difficult time or maybe a very challenging season in your life, because of a scripture like this one, because of a verse like this, I can promise you that even at this very moment, you can and even will sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, even if you're hurting even if you're frustrated, even if you're afraid, discouraged today, you will be able to sense His comfort and His presence in you. And He can comfort you with a peace, as the Scriptures say, that goes beyond all human understanding. But what you will feel in your life is the comforting presence of God Himself, the Holy Spirit. Paul says it like this in Romans 8. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit, notice what he does, intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This reminds us, this verse reminds us that the Holy Spirit will comfort you. And one of the ways that he will comfort you is that he can act as a helper when you and I are weak when you're experiencing that weakness in your life. And as this verse says here in Romans 8, even when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf. Do you understand how incredible of a promise that is? I mean, have you ever found yourself in a situation in your life, such a bind that you know you ought to pray and you don't know what to pray for? Or you know that you need to pray, but you're just not sure what to say? or you're angry with God, or you're frustrated with God, or maybe you're ashamed of how you have acted and so you don't feel worthy to stand before our God in heaven and even offer a prayer to Him. This verse offers us great encouragement that one of the ways the Holy Spirit comforts us is that He will go before our Father in heaven and pray on our behalf, which means when you don't know what to pray for, or even feel like praying, or even realize that you can pray, The Holy Spirit intercedes for you and He will pray on your behalf with words or groans that words can't describe. And I don't know, maybe that's just where you are right now. And if that's the way that God wants to encourage you or speak into your life today, let Him. 
Because if you're here today and maybe you're having trouble getting pregnant or something and the news of somebody else getting pregnant is more than you can bear, I mean, just, just know this, that the Holy Spirit can come for you. He can pray for you. He can pray on your behalf. Or if you're battling cancer right now, or maybe a frightening illness, or maybe it's not for you, but it's maybe somebody that you love, somebody close to you and your family, you know, and, and the idea of the thought of another treatment or another doctor's report is more than you can bear. The Spirit knows what you need, and He will pray for you on your behalf. I mean, if you're single, if you're widowed, if you're divorced, and life feels incredibly lonely right now, the Holy Spirit can comfort you. And give you strength when you feel all alone. If you're facing a difficult decision at work right now. And I I want you to know that the Holy Spirit can and probably already is interceding on your behalf. Because the Holy Spirit prays for us. And He knows exactly what to say. And that can be of great comfort and of great encouragement today. And if you will believe it. And if you'll allow those words to penetrate your life and shape the way you live. Even as you walk out of these doors today. I mean it can change so many things for you. This reality that the Holy Spirit guides, that He can show us the way to go. That the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, not just as a way of pointing out flaws or inflicting guilt on anyone, but because He knows what is best and that the Holy Spirit can comfort. So that when you feel empty, when you're hurting, you know, when you're living alone in this world and you just feel like you're full of doubts, the Holy Spirit can and He will comfort. Just think about it. Like, how could that change things for you? I mean, what could that do for you in your life if you knew, okay, I'm going to walk away from here today and I'm going to embrace these truths. Not just once and for all, finally, but, but even daily, that God is with me wherever I go and that He guides, that He convicts, that He comforts, that He prays for me. I mean, imagine for a second, just imagine for a second, what could life look like for you? How could things change to be more aware, to just be surrendered to His Spirit, you know, for all things? Not just so that you can get what you want out of it all, but to humbly approach God and know that He is with me, that He loves me, that He adores me. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go, that we live like this. I mean, I I just can't even begin to tell you personally what preparing this message over the last couple of weeks had really meant for me just in my own study and in my own reflection. Because probably like many of you, and I hope like many of you, I mean, I have days and seasons in my life where I just don't feel very close to God. I mean, you know, I I get to trying to do things on my own and in my own power and my own strength. And I'll just tell you that when I go that way very long, um, I, I don't have much to offer. Like, I find myself running empty, you know, so quickly, and I'm not worth much. I ran across this quote over the past couple of weeks, um, shared by a guy by the name of R.A. Torrey. He's a pastor and a theologian, and here's what he says. He says, so it is clear that every believer has the Holy Spirit in some sense. It is one thing to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, as he does in every believer, way back in some hidden corner of our being, where we are not distinctly conscious of His presence. And quite another thing, and a far more glorious thing, to have this indwelling Spirit take entire possession of the house that He inhabits, as He does when one is baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I just ask you this question today? If you just think about your own life and where you are with God right now, does the presence of God, does the Holy Spirit, Does he have entire possession of your house or your life? 
or just a portion? I mean, where are you with that? I mean, I, I hunger for God. I, I thirst for God. I know that I need God in my life. And I need a greater sense of His presence and His power in me. And, and I know that I'm not going to get more of the Holy Spirit in my life. I know the day that I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I got all of the Spirit that I'm ever going to get. So it's not about getting more of the Spirit. It's about the Spirit getting more of me. And in this pastor's, in these pastors' words, I mean, really the question is, how can I allow the Spirit to take full occupation of my life or of my house for Him and for His purposes. And so real quickly, if you're not where you want to be with God and in your relationship with Him right now, if you want God to have greater occupancy in your life, I want to give you three words. Three words that I came across a few weeks ago. Three words that I just keep coming back to and even asking every day, what do these mean for me? And I'm going to give you a moment in our prayer time to spend a little bit of time with them as we close. But words that you can take with you today and you can just sort of kind of reflect on for your life. You can write these down. The first word is this. It's the word thirst. And with that word, I just want to ask you, do you thirst for more of God? Uh, Do you hunger for more of God in your life? Do you thirst for more of His presence and more of His work and His guidance in your life? Look at this verse, John 7, 37 to 39. Jesus said, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this He meant the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Do you thirst for more of God? I mean, if you just do some honest reflection today, would you say, yes, I am thirsty, I am hungry for more of God in my life? I mean, do you want to to experience Him in ways that you've never experienced Him before as a guide and as a comforter for anything and everything? I'm going to tell you, it begins with a thirst. And the question that you've got to ask is, am I thirsty? Am I I thirsty for more of God? And then the second word that I want to give you to reflect on is this word. It's the word ask. I mean, if I thirst, would I be willing to ask for more of God at work in me, more of the Spirit at work in my life, a greater awareness of His presence to ask Him to take full occupation of the house of my life? Look at Luke 11, 13. Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, it says ask. And so what would it mean for me? And what would it mean for you in your life today to ask God, God, will you take more of me? Will you take greater possession of the house, greater occupation of the house of my life? I want more of your spirit at work in me, filling me today, and not just today, but every day. This is a day. This, this is a prayer that I'm, I'm going to start praying every single day. I just want to tell you that God would love to give this gift to you. And you know, that's what struck me just the other day as I was reading this verse, that just that phrase in there, the very first part of that verse, that if you love to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven love to do the same? Do you love to give gifts to your kids? Or maybe a niece or a nephew or maybe somebody that you love? And I, I'm not just talking about any gift, but like when you, like you nailed it, like you've got that gift that you just can't wait to see the expression on their face when they open it. Now think about God. And Jesus says, how much more... Does he love to give gifts to his children to those who ask? 
you hunger and thirst for more of God and His work in your life, you know, ask Him. Ask Him to comfort you. Ask Him to guide you. Ask Him to forgive you, you know, of sins in your life. You know, ask Him to guide you through a confusing season. And then the last word that I want to give you is the word faith. I mean, once we ask, we must have the faith to believe that He will do what He promises that He will do. 1 John five fourteen and 15 says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. We can have faith. You and I can have confidence in approaching God. You can be confident that if you thirst for more of God, to be at work guiding and comforting you in your life today, that God will deliver. He will do what He promised He will do. Let's pray.